Gonzaga's NCAA tournament streak is in jeopardy, but there remains a path to an at-large bid, even if the Zags don't win it all in Vegas. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Folks, new customers who join today, you'll get $200 in bonus bets. If your first bet of $5 or more wins, visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Well, we got a packed episode today on Locked On Zags. DeMontis Sabonis snubbed from the Western Conference reserves for the NBA All-Star Game. We're going to talk about that, who he should have replaced in the All-Star Game. We're going to round out the show talking about Lisa Fortier and the Gonzaga women's basketball program and their 65-point margin of victory over Pacific, where they are in the net rankings. They're cracking the top 10, what it means for them going forward. But before we get to all of that, I'm going to basically expand on a conversation we had on Monday's episode. Of course, Monday was a jam-packed episode as well with mailbag and lots of conversation about the the loss to St. Mary's and the uh, things being thrown on the floor and various other things that happened in that game. But I really want to look at where Gonzaga's resume is at right now, today, February 6th, and what it might look like for them to get an at-large bid into the NCAA tournament. Because the conversation, really since the San Diego State game, has been, oh, the Zags need to win in Vegas. They need to win in Vegas. They need to secure uh, the automatic qualifier. They don't have an at-large resume. They don't have the quad one wins. They're not going to get there. And to be very clear, I'm going to say this right off the top. There is not a scenario in my mind where Gonzaga, if they don't win in Vegas, isn't sweating. And I mean sweating on Selection Sunday. The only way to be secure fully secure in the NCAA tournament is to win the WCC championship. I do still think though, that there is a path to Gonzaga potentially getting an at-large bid, even if St. Mary's or somebody else, although frankly, if it was somebody else, that loss for Gonzaga would probably be enough. It probably has to be St. Mary's beating Gonzaga in the WCC championship and Gonzaga losing no other games. Let's look at where they're at right now. All of this, all this data is from February 5th. From Monday, as we're recording this, we're looking at the net rankings. And, of course, the net rankings are a snapshot in time. They update every single day. So these numbers are already going to be slightly out of date, but they're a really close barometer to where the Zags are at currently. Currently, they are 27th in the net. No team higher than 31st has ever not received an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament. Now, the net rankings have not been around for very long. So that, data, that that fact doesn't really make me feel all that comforted because there's just not a big enough sample size to really know that the committee is, is guaranteed to put all top 30 teams in. Of course, Gonzaga is also not going to necessarily stay at 27th in the net rankings. But as of right now, they are 0-5 in quad one games. Those losses are Purdue, Washington, UConn, San Diego State, and now St. Mary's. They are 3-1 and 
in quad two games. And I'll define these very quickly. Quad one is a home game against a top 30 net team, a neutral site game against a top 50 net team, or an away game, a true road game against a top 75 team. Quad two, three, and four are just a sliding scale off of that. So in quad two, Gonzaga is three and one. Their losses to Santa Clara, their wins are Syracuse, uh, USC, and San Francisco. Quad three, they're three and oh, with those wins being San Diego, UCLA, and Yale. And then quad four is every other game. They're nine and oh in quad four. So they're 12 and oh between quads three and four. They're 15 and one between quads two, three, and four. They're just oh and five in those quad one games. What is left? Again, snapshot in time on February 5th. According to the net rankings in the regular season, Gonzaga has three quad one games remaining. One of them is this Saturday at Rupp Arena when they take on John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats. The other two are the final two regular season games of the year at San Francisco. That is counted as an away game, even though it is at the Chase Center. So that one will count as a quad one game right now. And then, of course, at St. Mary's in Moraga is the other. They don't have any quad two games on the calendar right now. They have a pair of quad three games at LMU and at home against Santa Clara. And then they got a trio of quad four games, two of them against the Pilots of Portland, who we will preview on tomorrow's episode of Locked on Zags. And then they also got a home game left against the Tigers of Pacific. So if the Zags win out, and if those the where those teams are currently in the net does not change, this is just in the regular season, Gonzaga would then be three and five in quad one. They would be three and one in quad two. They would be a combined 17-0 in quads three and four. If they win their first game in Las Vegas, because if they win out from the rest of the regular season, they're very likely going to be a top two seed in the WCC tournament, meaning they get the double bye, meaning they only have to play two games to be in that, or one game to be in that championship. If they play either San Francisco or Santa Clara, who is who would likely be their, their opponent, and they win that game on a neutral site, that's probably a quad two win. So you're going into the WCC championship game with a three and five record in quad one and a four and one record in quad two. If you then lose to St. Mary's three and six in quad one, four and one in quad two, folks, that's a, that's probably an NCAA tournament resume. It probably is. It sounds kind of crazy, but looking at the teams right now that are current bubble teams, looking at the teams that have made it in previous years as at large bids, that's, that's manageable. Right now, Joe Lenardi's bracketology, and look, I know Joe Lenardi is not the most accurate bracketologist out there, but is the most convenient one to grab and pull from in terms of regular updating at this point in the season. Teams that are being considered for, for at-large spots, Providence, they're three and five in quad one. Nebraska, they're three and four in quad one. Memphis only has one quad one win, although something tells me Memphis is, is barreling towards being a team that's only uh, win the AAC or bust type situation for them. But Colorado, one and four in quad one. I'm kind of baffled they're still in that conversation, but I wouldn't feel comfortable believing Gonzaga could get an at-large bid unless they actually have three quad one wins, which means the margin for error is now zero. We've had this conversation on the podcast before. We've discussed whether the margin of zero is actually or margin of error is at zero or not. Now it is. If they don't win that WCC championship game, they have to win every other game. I don't think there is a situation where they lose at Kentucky or they win at Kentucky, but they lose in Moraga and then they also lose to St. Mary's. If St. Mary's beats them three times, they're done. It's not happening. If they lose to Kentucky, but they they get the Gales in Moraga and they don't lose and they don't win the WCC tournament. 
Now they're two and six in quad one. I don't think they're making it. But I do think if they take care of everything else, they beat Kentucky at Rupp, they beat the Gales in Moraga, they beat San Francisco at the Chase Center, they win that game in the to get to the championship of the WCC, and then they lose to St. Mary's, a quad one loss there. Like I said, they're going to be sweating. It's not going to be the most fun selection Sunday the Zags have ever had. It might be the least fun that they've had in a very long time. But I still think there is a potential, maybe even a likelihood, that that resume is good enough to get Gonzaga into the NCAA tournament. Maybe it's as a play in 11, something they have not had to experience before. But I think it's enough to potentially sneak them in. Obviously, the easiest path forward is for Gonzaga to just win the dang thing in Vegas. Then none of the rest of this matters. Certainly, you'd like to beat Kentucky. You'd like to beat St. Mary's in Moraga. You'd like to avoid any hideous losses outside of that, like another loss to Santa Clara or, God forbid, a loss to Portland or Pacific. But none of that matters if Gonzaga wins in Vegas. They're just going to get a crappier seed. But if they go undefeated from here on out and win in Vegas, we'll see. I think, unfortunately, that might actually put Gonzaga in a spot where they get a dreaded 8-9 seed and have to play a one seed in the second round. I'll tell you what, there's not a single one seed out there that would want to play Gonzaga on that 8-9 line. But I do think that that is a potential path for Gonzaga. And I do think that the team is going to focus on WCC or bust. They're going to focus on just win every single game in front of you. That's always been Mark Few's mantra. But I would caution anybody who says that there's absolutely no way Gonzaga gets in unless they win the WCC tournament. Teams that have had a resume similar to this, if Gonzaga wins every game until that one, have made the tournament in the past. And I think it's possible they do again. There are a couple things to keep an eye on for Gonzaga fans, though, that could be not so good. A couple concerns right now. UW is 73rd in the net. If they fall below 75, that quad one loss falls to a quad two loss. Not great. Not great if that happens. Not anything Gonzaga can do about it. That's part of the flaw of the net ranking system. I get why it exists the way that it does, but it is unfortunate that you're at the mercy of other teams doing well or or not doing well. Similarly, USC currently is 97th in the net. If they fall below 100, that quad two win for Gonzaga becomes a quad three win. Nothing they can do about the fact that Isaiah Isaiah Collier is not playing, that Coach Andy Enfield has not figured out what to do with his guards, that Bronny James hasn't stepped up. Just one of those realities of that situation. Similarly, Yale, they are 81st. If they move up into the top 75, if they can climb six spots, that quad three win for Gonzaga becomes a quad two. So it is possible some things could go in the other direction in a favor for Gonzaga, but ultimately it's going to come down to picking up a a couple of quad one wins. Ideally they get up to three of them, all three remaining uh, if they want any chance of making the NCAA tournament without having to win that final game in Las Vegas. Well, DeMontis Sabonis, he was not selected as a reserve for the 2024 NBA All-Star game. And we're going to discuss why that is frankly a complete disgrace. Coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Folks, happy Super Bowl week to those of you who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and now placing some super bets. And FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or even three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, where currently the 49ers are two and a half point favorites, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, join FanDuel today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more is a win. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, 
an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, folks, segment two here, still Andy Patton, still a Locked On Zags podcast, switching away from talking about net rankings and various other analytical conversations that we have to have this season because Gonzaga has not put themselves in a comfortable position with regards to the NCAA tournament. We're going to switch over to Zags in the NBA topic. We try to get to at least once a week here on Locked on Zags, giving you an update on, on how guys are doing, if there's any injuries, Chet Holmgren's rookie of the year case, et cetera. But what I want to talk about today is DeMontis Sabonis. And, and we've, this is a conversation we've had on this podcast in multiple years. As somebody who's covered Gonzaga on the podcast platform for five years now, back to score, Zag score, as well as the last couple of years here on Locked on Zags, I remember writing down DeMontis Sabonis' name as an NBA All-Star candidate, comparing his resume to Julius Randle's when he was in the Eastern Conference, and, and continuing to look at why DeMontis Sabonis is not selected for the All-Star game. The last couple of years, that hasn't been an issue. That hasn't been something we've had to talk about because he's been making the NBA All-Star game. He's made three of them. He's had a very, very successful NBA career, unquestionably. And yet this year, in what is arguably the best season of his career, at least right in that conversation, DeMontis Sabonis gets snubbed. The five players selected to start for the Western Conference, and as a reminder, the actual conferences will not play each other in the All-Star game. There will be a draft. The teams will get mixed up, but they do still pick based on conferences. And the West, the starters were selected partially by the fans, and we knew Sabonis wasn't going to get that kind of fanfare. Your starters for the All-Star game, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, and Shai Gilgis-Alexander, starting point guard for Oklahoma City. Those are your starters. Your reserves, though, these are picked by the Western Conference coaches. Two players from the Los Angeles Clippers, two players from the Mountain West, interestingly enough, in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You have Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Davis, both from Kentucky. Devin Booker, also from Kentucky. Anthony Edwards and some guy named Steph Curry. DeMontis Bonus, as we're recording this on Monday evening, 19.9 points per game, 13 rebounds on the dot, eight assists on the dot as well. He's shooting 63.6% on two-pointers, 43.4% on threes. Sabonis leads the NBA in total rebounds and rebounds per game. He is seventh in assists per game. He is fifth in total assists. DeMontis Sabonis, six foot 11 big man for the Sacramento Kings, fifth in the entire NBA in total assists this season. Sabonis is also second in the NBA in triple doubles behind Nikola Jokic. He is 12th in the NBA in effective field goal percentage. His team is in fifth place in the Western Conference, not just because of him. Shout out to Aaron Fox, who was also having a fantastic season and frankly was also kind of snubbed from the All-Star game, or at least is a player who certainly deserved consideration for one of those spots in the All-Star game as well. Those two guys, the fact that Sacramento didn't have either of these guys in the All-Star game with the season that they're having is pretty disappointing. And look, I've seen this on Twitter. I've seen this on social media. You can't complain that somebody's not an all-star unless you can prove they're better than somebody who's there. It's hard to make an all-star game, whatever, blah, blah, blah. First of all, I can complain if I want to. And I think DeMontis Sabonis deserves to be an all-star. I'm going to continue to say that. But fine, let's compare his resume to the players who made the all-star game ahead of him. We'll start with Carl Anthony Towns. Because we didn't use defense to evaluate Sabonis. And we are going to compare him to Anthony Davis, but Anthony Davis is a much, much, much better defender than DeMontis Sabonis, and that's reasonable. Carl Anthony Towns is not. He's not asked to be a defender. It's part of the reason Minnesota has Rudy Gobert on the roster. He's not a good defensive player. 
Neither is Sabonis. That is his downside. That is what cost him uh, playing time in the playoffs and what kind of hurt Sacramento in a lot of ways is that he's more easily identified as somebody who can just attack in the playoffs and get him in switches and go at him. And and that's a a weakness of his. We're not going to spend a lot of time uh, trying to pretend it's not. It is. It's an issue for DeMontis Sabonis, and it should impact how he's viewed as an all-star. But him and Carl Anthony Towns, to me, are similar defensively. And yet, while Towns has an edge in points, to- more points per game, more total points, his edge in three-point percentage, which is incredibly minimal for the record, Towns is shooting 43.7%. Sabonis is shooting 43.4%. Sabonis, or excuse me, uh, Towns is averaging 22.5 points per game. Sabonis is 19. So that's a fairly big difference, 3.5 points per game. But Sabonis has more rebounds. He has more assists. He has a better E-field goal percentage, better two-point percentage, basically the same three-point percentage. Yes, Minnesota is in first place. Minnesota's in first place because of Anthony Edwards. Who made the All-Star game? Who deserved to make the All-Star game? He's extraordinarily talented. To me, the argument head-to-head between Sabonis and Carl Anthony Towns, it's just not there. I know Towns had his 66-point game a few weeks ago, and that got him a lot of attention, mostly negative attention because he just hacked up a bunch of shots in the second half and arguably hurt Minnesota's chances of winning that basketball game. But I don't see an argument, a realistic one, head-to-head where you you can say that Carl Anthony Towns is a better player, that he's a more deserving all-star than DeMontis Sabonis. I just don't see it. Anthony Davis, I get, I get. Sabonis is better in every category except points per game that we listed, but Davis is a shot blocker. He's a rim protector. He's a much better defensive player. The Lakers are bad, but they're the Lakers. Anthony Davis is having a good season. I think it's fine. I think it's fine that he made this. I kind of get it over Sabonis, but I think there's a, there's an argument for it to be Sabonis in this conversation. Frankly, there's an argument for it to be Sabonis over Paul George as well. Sabonis has twice as many rebounds as Paul George. Per game, DeMontis Sabonis averages double the rebounds of Paul George. He also averages double the assists. If you're thinking, well, Paul George doesn't play the big man position, of course Sabonis has more rebounds. Twice as many assists, twice as many. Oh, well, Simonis has used more than Paul George. That's an argument for him to be an all-star then. That works in the favor of Sabonis being the guy. Twice as many boards, twice as many assists. He's got a better field goal percentage. He's got a better E-field goal percentage. He's got a better three-point percentage. Paul George is probably better defensively, but does it make up for that? Does it make up for Sabonis doubling him up in rebounds and assists? Does it make up for Sabonis being basically right behind him in total points per game while being more effective as a three-point shooter, as a two-point shooter, as overall effectiveness? To me, no. To me, no. I I think Sabonis is a better all-star candidate than Paul George. I think he's a better all-star candidate than Carl Anthony Towns. I'll begrudgingly accept that he is behind Anthony Davis, but to me, he should make it over those two guys. And he didn't. Maybe he'll still make it with a, as, as, a, as a replacement player, as a fill-in if somebody gets hurt, if there's an injury. Uh, and I get the Ulster games, a popularity contest. Montes Sabonis is not as flashy as the other guys. He, he's, he's just, his style doesn't really mesh right now with, with kind of the NBA style, frankly, although he's, he's really made the modern NBA work for him as a player. But I think he deserved to be in this conversation. Is it a huge deal? No, probably not. But at the end of the day, Sabonis is going to be judged as a Hall of Fame candidate. He's going to be judged by his overall career, his reputation, his his impact on the game of basketball is going to be judged in part by how many All-Star games he makes. And when he has seasons like this and doesn't get that recognition, it stings. It hurts a little. 
I feel for Sabonis. I hope he does end up getting in there in some kind of replacement, uh, an injury or a player who opts not to play or whatever it may be. Uh, but it's sad that he didn't get there uh, in the initial reserve voting. I think the coaches made a mistake by picking Carl Anthony Towns and to an extent Paul George over Sabonis for this All-Star game. We're going to switch gears one more time, talk about Lisa Fortier's team. They hung 104 points on Pacific and one of the most dominant wins I have ever seen. Are they going to start getting some respect? More coming up on that after a word from today's sponsor, eBay Motors. Passion, drive, patience. That's what brings home the winning trophy, and it's also what helps keep your ride or die alive. And eBay Motors has everything that you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. And with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. Plus, with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your car every time or you get your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that W. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply, and eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers. My folks, segment three here, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. And we're talking about Coach Lisa Fortier and the women's basketball team. They held steady at 19 in the AP poll. After last week where they've continued to just dominate every team that they have played in the WCC. Didn't move up in the standings, but at least they didn't move down. We saw that happen a few weeks ago where they dropped spots despite two 20-plus point victories in conference play. So at least that wasn't the case, especially this week as Stanford fell from four to six. Last time that the Lady Zags fell in the in the rankings, it was partly because Stanford also fell. That's obviously what Gonzaga is really hanging their resume on right now from a non-conference perspective is that big blowout victory at home against the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, meanwhile, Louisville, one of Gonzaga's other opponents, they lost to Louisville. They moved up to 15. Washington State is the other loss for Gonzaga. They did not receive any votes in the AP poll. They, they received quite a few last week, so... Wazoo struggling uh, has has probably had some impact on Gonzaga, but it shouldn't really. It shouldn't really. And we talked about this a handful of times on the show, but it feels like the Lady Zags are getting punished for margin of victory. Like because of how badly they are beating teams, they're not being taken as seriously. And I get it to an extent. When you see a team that is constantly blowing out the opponent that they're playing, it's easy to kind of wrap your head around, oh, those teams that they're playing must be very bad. And to have that be kind of the the overall takeaway that you have from that result. It has impacted the Gonzaga on the men's side for a long time. That has changed in part because of places like Ken Palm, which has some more advanced analytical data on all 365 teams, 362 teams. They don't have that on the women's side. They have the net, and the net really loves Gonzaga for what it's worth, has them 10th when they're not 19th in the AP voting, that's a pretty big disparity when you're at the top uh, comparing net and AP, but there's not a Ken Palm that is widely used that, you know, really ranks all of the women's basketball division one teams, the way that the way that Ken Palm effectively does the way that Bart Torvik does, they just don't have as much data points. So I think it's easier for people to say, wow, the WCC must just be bad. And Gonzaga just happens to be a good enough team that they're just obliterating everybody. And to some extent, that's true. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the WCC is actually good on the women's basketball side. It's really not. 
And we talked about before the season how this was going to impact Lisa Fortier's team. Like this is something we've known for a while. The loss of BYU, it hurt on the men's side. It really hurt on the women's side because BYU was a pretty good program. Granted, they haven't been that good this year in the Big 12, but they're a decent, historically good women's basketball program that left the conference. It's also why the upcoming editions of Washington State and Oregon State, while they don't move the needle as much on the men's side, they're a tremendous help. On the women's side, both Wazoo and Oregon State are routinely getting votes for the top 25. Oregon State has been ranked for for a a good chunk of the season. Wazoo has been ranked at times as well. This is a huge benefit for Coach Fortier's team starting next year. But here's the deal. Gonzaga's women's team is 10th in the net right now. The top 10, South Carolina, Stanford, number two. Gonzaga, of course, beat them. UConn's three, Texas, Iowa's fourth, Utah's five. UCLA 6, Notre Dame, Kansas State, that is your top nine. I think I missed one in there, Iowa, I think is the school that I missed, Caitlin Clark School. Regardless, Gonzaga is a top 10 team at the net. The WCC remains weak. Santa Clara is 81st, Portland's 96th, Pacific is 157th. Only three schools in the top 150 at the net. But what Gonzaga did last week and what they have done all season long it's hard to, I, I just don't know how you how you ignore it at this point. It's impossible to me to ignore it. I know people, you know, AP voters, a lot of them just look, okay, 2-0, 2-0, 2-0, we won't move them. This team lost the game, we'll bump them down, and that's it. That's how they submit their, their ballots. I get it. I'm not criticizing anybody for that. It's, some people have more time than others. Some people are, are, are paying more attention to it than others. I think there should be a standard for how, how much you're, you're paying attention to it. But I get with Gonzaga, people are expecting them to win all their games. They're seeing that they won their games. They're maybe not looking a lot more in detail beyond that. Gonzaga beat San Diego 80-52 to 52 on the road this week. Huge win, but San Diego's bad. 231st in the net. They're 4-17 and 17 on the season. A 28-point victory over San Diego almost doesn't feel like anything. Sort of what you expect. But then Gonzaga played Pacific, and they beat them in a way that feels nearly illegal. 104 to 39 was the final score. I know I talked about this game a little bit on Monday for those of you who who listened to the mailbag episode, but I want to reiterate some of the points we made in that game. This was a 65-point victory for Lee's 48th team. They scored their 40th point with five minutes left in the second quarter. Pacific scored 39 all game. Gonzaga's game-winning bucket was with five minutes left in the second quarter. Pacific is two spots ahead of Kentucky in the net. They are three spots ahead of Pitt in the net. Those are not good women's basketball programs, but the fact that Pacific is not where they are on the men's side. They're not like 350th where there's not a single power six team anywhere near them. Pacific is considered a better team at the net, which does not necessarily evaluate head-to-head talent. But for a reference point, Pacific is, is, is on the same level as Kentucky and Pitt. How many top teams in the Power Six are beating their opponents in conference play by 65? To be clear, it is happening. South Carolina did almost this exact same thing to Kentucky. South Carolina is the number one team in the country. They're number one at the net. They played a team outside the top 150 in Kentucky, and they obliterated them. It was almost the exact same score. It was like 96 to 36 or something like that. It was a a similar score and a a similar just absolute beatdown. So it's not like this isn't happening. And I'm not saying Gonzaga deserves the same recognition as South Carolina. They don't. They don't. They're not on that level. South Carolina is undefeated. They're absolutely ridiculous, unbelievable program. But let's use Notre Dame as an example. Notre Dame is eighth in the net. Gonzaga is 10th in the net. 
Notre Dame played Pitt twice. Pitt is 160th in the net. Pacific is 157th. Notre Dame's first game against Pitt, they won by five on the road. Gonzaga has not played Pacific on the road yet. But at home, Notre Dame won by 25. Easy, breezy margin of victory. Gonzaga's was 40 points higher. 40 points higher. Nobody is going to argue that Pitt and Pacific are the same. If these two teams played each other 10 times out of 10, you ask women's basketball experts who, who really follow the sport, who's going to win? They're going to, take, they're going to take Pitt eight out of 10 times, probably. I'm not going to pretend I've watched a lot of Pitt women's basketball. I have not, but I'm guessing that they are a better program. Regardless, the net is, this is how you use the net. These teams are supposed to be comparable. That's how it's used. That's how it's evaluated. What Gonzaga is doing to the teams in their conference, not just the bottom feeders, They've played Santa Clara twice. They've beaten by 35-plus points both times. Their closest margin of victory in the WCC is 18. Seven of their nine WCC wins have been by 20 or more points. Three of their nine WCC wins have been by 35 or more points. Two of those were against Santa Clara, the second-best team in the conference from the net perspective. The other one was against Pacific, and it was at 65-point victory, the fourth-best team in the conference. Gonzaga is destroying every team that they play. These matchups are not even close. They had 19 threes against Pacific. 19 of them. 19. That is an unbelievable number. This team is crushing everybody that they are playing. They are not having any close games. They blew out Stanford at home. Their only losses are a very, very early season loss to Washington State and a loss to a Louisville team that's considered top 15 in the country. That's it. This team deserves more recognition than they are getting. 19th in the AP poll is not egregiously bad, but it is. It, they are better than that. They are better than that. They host Pepperdine and LMU this week. They have yet to play Pepperdine. Last time they beat LMU by 24 points. This team is playing at an, a level we have almost never seen from a Gonzaga program. The 2020-21 Gonzaga team is close to this level. This has been a jaw-dropping season. We knew it had the potential to be great because they returned basically everybody. Yvonne Ejim comes back. The Trung Twins come back. Brenda Maxwell comes back. Eliza Hollingsworth comes back. And you knew this had the potential to be a special year. But it has been more impressive than I could have even imagined. And I wish it was getting more attention. I wish that there was more conversation around this team because they're probably going to get a four seed and that's fine. It's not terrible. I don't think I'm going to be screaming and banging the drum for them to get like a one or a two seed. I understand that's not the situation they're in, but this team has been one of the most singularly dominant mid-major college basketball programs that we have seen in a very long time. And they are having an otherworldly season. And I think it deserves more love. So that's part of my goal to bring you more conversation about this women's basketball team. Tomorrow we'll be back uh, with a preview of that University of Portland game as we get ready for Shantae Leggins and the Pilots at the McCarthy Athletic Center at 5 p.m. on Wednesday. We're then, of course, going to get you ready for that Kentucky game on Saturday. We'll have more coverage on this women's basketball team as well. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. I want to thank all of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Remind you to join us on our Discord channel. Over 300 folks in there talking Gonzaga basketball all day long. There's a link in your show notes. It is free to join, so go ahead and hit that if you have not done so yet. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, as always, go Zags.